Well, friends, the history of the human race can rightly be described as the long and tragic account of men and women seeking dominion over creation apart from God. Starting with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the natural bent of sinful humanity has been to seek to rule and reign over ourselves and others, usurping the authority that belongs to God alone. We've seen this reality throughout the book of Judges already, and we're going to see this once again in our passage this morning. History is littered with stories of the wreckage that comes from such foolish attempts. Men and women seeking to usurp the authority that belongs to God alone. We, we saw this probably most clearly than, uh, more clearly than at any time in history in the last hundred years in the 20th century. In the 19th and 20th century, modern day philosophers and scientists declared that God is dead. They, they said that there is no God, there is no supernatural. Men and women are simply alone in the universe. Products of evolution, accidents evolved out of slimy algae, and there is no creator God to whom we are accountable. This naturalistic worldview gave rise to a, a worldview that became prominent throughout Western culture in the 20th century known as secular humanism. Humanism says that men and women are basically good, and if left to our own through our science, through our technology, through our modern-day advancements, we can literally create a utopia on earth. We don't need God. We don't need the church. We don't need any kind of divine revelation. That's all superstition. We can create a perfect world apart from God. And that was the, the goal that we saw attempted in the 20th century. But sadly, as became clear in the 20th century, man did not create utopia on earth. Instead, we saw in the 20th century the bloodiest period in all of human history. Over 100 million people lost their lives in the last 100 years to totalitarian governments and godless philosophies, all claiming that we can create a utopia on earth apart from God. But it became very clear, friends, that man is not basically good, but our hearts are bent towards evil. And humanity seeking dominion apart from God does not produce utopia on earth, but hell on earth. As the renowned theologian during the years of World War II, Henry de Lubac once observed, it is not true, as is sometimes said, that man cannot organize the world without God. What is true is that without God, he can only organize it against man. We've seen this tragic reality play out throughout history time and time again. We see, even in our own world today, totalitarian governments racing towards these same foolish ends. And this is the reality that we're going to explore in our passage this morning. The reality of the consequences of, of, a, of a nation turning their back on God, turning their back on God's will and his ways, and we're going to see the tragic reality and the consequences that come from this. 
especially in light of the choices of the nation of Israel in the book of Judges, chapter 9. If you recall where we are in our study of the book of Judges, we've just come off the last few weeks looking at the story of Gideon. And following on the heels of Gideon's story found in Judges chapter 6 through 8, we come today to chapter 9 to what is the fifth of seven cycles of rebellion in the history of Israel during this period of the Judges. Remember, Judges encompasses seven cycles of rebellion. This is the fifth, where where Israel turned their backs on God. They, They chased after pagan gods, pagan idols. And as a result of their foolishness, God brought judgment upon them. And this has been the pattern throughout the book of Judges. Israel's rebellion, God's punishment against Israel for their rebellion, Israel crying out to God for deliverance, God delivering his people, and then again we see the cycles repeat over and over and over again as as God's people fail to learn their lessons. Well, we're going to come to another one of these cycles of rebellion and judgment today. But what we're going to see in chapter 9 is that God's judgment against his people in this episode does not come from without. Judgment in this case does not come from foreign armies or foreign invaders, but this time God brings his judgment upon his people from within. The judgment comes from within. We, we, we've talked about this reality already in our series. We've alluded to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, where the Apostle Paul talks about the reality of men and women's sin and a culture's rebellion against God. And as a result of that, Paul says that God sometimes gives them over to their sins. In fact, in Romans 1, we read three times in that passage Paul says, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. And what that means is God allows people to experience the consequence of their sin. And that's one of the ways that he brings judgment against us when we stray and rebel against him. And this principle is true in the Old Testament as well. For example, in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 81, we read... God says, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Friends, understand this. One of the ways that God brings judgment against a rebellious people is to simply give us over to our stubbornness to allow us to pursue our own counsel, our own human wisdom, thinking we know better, and then reaping the sad consequences of that foolishness. Well, in our passage this morning, we're going to see God give his people over to their stubborn hearts. And we're going to see the disastrous consequences that result from Israel's rebellion against him. And by God's grace will hopefully learn from Israel's mistakes so that we might not follow in their tragic footsteps. We're in a pretty large section of Scripture this morning, Judges chapter 9. I'm going to read this chapter for us because it's an important episode in the history of God's people. I want to read this entire episode of Judges chapter 9, and then I want to come back and I want to highlight for us today three realities that we see at work in our passage this morning. 
If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up and follow along, or you can follow along on the screens behind me. We're picking up again. Remember, Gideon has just concluded his 40-year reign over Israel. Remember, he was never called to be king, but he set himself up as a king. He lived the last 40 years of his life as if he were king. And now we're going to see the result of Gideon's actions come to fruition in the life of his son, Abimelech. And if you remember last week, we talked about Abimelech. Abimelech was the son of Gideon's concubine, his illicit relationship with a woman he wasn't married to, he named this son Abimelech, which means son of a king or my father is king. Again, seeing Gideon's pride there and what he thought of himself as the king of Israel, a position that he never rightly attained by God's calling. So picking up in Judges chapter 9, now Abimelech, the son of Jerobel, that's Gideon, the son of Jerobel went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerobel rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal, Bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Oprah, and he killed his brothers, the sons of Jerobel, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerobel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Then it was told to Jotham, and he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, and he cried out aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, a buckthorn, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as he deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative... If then you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerobel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him rejoice in you. But if not, 
Let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour, devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way. And it was told to Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from the vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerobel? And is not Zebel his officer? Serve the man of Hamer, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that his people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. When Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore go by night, you and your people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem and four companies. And Gael, the son of Abed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebel said to them, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. Gael spoke again, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebel said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are these not the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Arumah, and Zebel drove out Gael and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of El-Berith. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. 
And he said to the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about 1,000 men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, Everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Wow. What a tragic, tragic story. In our passage this morning, we see three realities that I want to highlight for us. Realities that teach some important lessons, lessons that hopefully we will take to heart and apply to our own lives. Here in this tale of the Bramble King, we see number one, rebellion's ugly fruit. Rebellion's ugly fruit. You know, friends, it's important that we recognize that the foundation for this tragic episode in Israel's history was laid during the lifetime of Gideon. We, we saw this back in chapter 8 last week, especially in the last 40 years of Gideon's life. Gideon, who had started so well in his pride, had ultimately set himself up as a king. And this was how Gideon spent the last 40 years of his life after delivering Israel from the Midianite oppression, living as if he was king over Israel. Now, friends, it's important that we understand Israel having a king wasn't the issue. God had made provision in, in the Old Testament for the Israelites to have a king. But God had set specific guidelines for how those future kings should rule. In fact, in the Exodus, when Moses was leading the people of Israel into the promised land, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we see God's provision for a future king over Israel. God said through Moses to the people of Israel, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only this king, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. 
And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Now friends, these were the provisions that God had made for a king and the expectations that God had set for any future king over Israel. But friends, I want you to notice something. Gideon literally did the opposite of everything God had decreed for a future king of Israel. We we saw this last week at the end of chapter 8. Gideon first wasn't chosen by God to rule. He was never called to be king. He was called by God to deliver Israel from the Midianites. But Gideon set himself up as a king. And then Gideon, against God's law, took many wives and a concubine. And he accumulated excessive amounts of silver and gold. And he did not seek the guidance of God's word. And he usurped the authority of the Levitical priest. Remember, he made an effort, a a Levitical priestly vestment for himself. And then he ends up leading his family and nation into idolatry. What a pathetic end to a life filled with so much promise. And what a wasted opportunity. Gideon spent the last 40 years of his life sowing a legacy of prideful disobedience. And sadly, the ugly fruit of Gideon's infidelity would be reaped in the lives of his family and nation as they followed him in his rebellion against God. Now, friends, obviously, Gideon wasn't responsible for the choices that Israel made or that his family made. But it was Gideon and Gideon's life that tilled the soil in which his family and the nation of Israel were planted. Gideon set the pattern. And in verses 1 through 6 of our passage this morning, in chapter 9, we see the ugly fruit that came from Gideon's tragic legacy. Look at the fruit of Gideon's life in verses 1 through 6. What do we see there? We see a son, Abimelech, bent on power and conspiring to kill his brothers. We see a nation making political decisions based on pragmatism instead of prayer. We we see a people acquiescing to evil leadership. We, We see a culture where life has become incredibly cheap. They give 70 shekels to to Abimelech and these reckless, worthless men so that they can go and kill his brothers. One shekel per man. One shekel per brother. This equates to roughly $500 in our day and age. That's how much life was worth in this time. 500 bucks to take a life. We see a family destroyed by one individual's pursuit of selfish gain. We see a nation intimidated and coerced into submission. Friends, when Abimelech killed his 70 brothers on one stone, what that was, that was an ISIS-like execution. You remember those 
tragic evil pictures of ISIS lining up the Coptic Christians and beheading them one after another. Why did they do that? They did that to intimidate and coerce the people into submission. This is what this was about. It was about terrorizing the populace into following Abimelech. 